The first passage for today's Bible reading is Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 32 to 40. Um, It's on page number 183 of the Church Bibles. Ask now about the former days long before your time, from the day God created man on the earth. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other, has anything so great as this ever happened, or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and have lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by miraculous signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds like all the things of the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there is no other. From heaven, he made you hear his voice to discipline you. On earth, he showed you his great fire, and you heard his words from out of the fire. Because he loved your forefathers and chose your descendants after them, he brought you out of Egypt by his presence and his great strength to drive out before you nations greater and stronger than you, and to bring you into their land, to give it to you for your inheritance as it is today. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. Keep his decrees and commands which I am giving you today so that it may go well with you and your children after you that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God gives you for all time. The second passage is the book of Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 through 8. It's on page number 1012 of the Church Bible. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were, t- who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Amen. Please, Father, help us to see it for what it's worth. In Jesus' name, amen. Different words invoke different types of responses, don't they? Uh, if you think of uh, the different, uh, the, if you went home right now, and um, not right now, but after the service, and you found on the doorstep there was a letter or a card from a person who loved you most. 
I guess that would bring a sort of response of excitement, of warmth, of anticipation. Uh, then there are kind of words that we take very seriously, aren't there? There, there are words like the words we read on the side of a prescription. Take this tablet two, day, two times a day and uh, two times a week. We, we take that very seriously, don't we? Then there are the sort of words that just float past us and we don't really register them. Uh, I was driving along on the motorway and I saw on one of the signs, wear a seatbelt. And I thought to myself, well, I am wearing a seatbelt, but if I wasn't, I'm not sure one sign saying wear a seatbelt would convince me otherwise. Do wear a seatbelt, though. And then there are words that we know we should take seriously, but no one really does. Uh, if you've ever taken a flight, you'll know that that safety announcement, we all should listen to it, but our eyes drift down onto the uh, airline magazine instead. I wonder when it comes to God's word, though, where we lie on that spectrum. Is it like receiving the love letter, the, the warm feeling, the anticipation, reading every word, excited? Is it the serious word of the prescription? Is it the word that just floats past us? Or is it the word that we know is serious, but we never kind of listen to? Or is it something else? See, our passage tonight, it is about God's word, surprise, surprise. And um, it's about how we should see God's word. See, um, we're in Deuteronomy, which is, um, if you imagine we've sped up the videotape uh, from the fall, uh, Israel, uh, this new nation, uh, led by Moses, are on the cusp of entering the promised land. And Moses, at this point, is a very old man. He, this is his final sermon. And he's on the edge of the land, and he's speaking to Israel, and he's about to remind them of the word that he heard back uh, at Mount Sinai. Remember last year, this time last year, we looked at this. Uh, if you could remember far, uh, that far back, it was a very different world, wasn't it? And uh, you remember that we, we heard about uh, God meeting his people at Sinai. That's what Moses is talking about here. And before he gets to that law, he wants them to register how significant this law is, what it really means to have God's word. And he shows us three things, I think, that it shows our privilege, it shows God's presence, and thirdly, it shows who God's people are. A reminder of the questions as well at the top there. See, first of all, it shows our privilege. Uh, what do I mean by this? I'm not sure I do know what I mean, but I think it's uh, roughly on track. Uh, see, he starts by showing us whose word it is they're hearing. You see, in verse 33, he reminds them of what happened at Sinai. Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and have lived? See, Moses is reminding them that these people, this nation, has the very words from God himself. This is not Moses' opinion on life and reality and everything else. This is not some wisdom handed down from generations ago. These are very words from God himself. He spoke them at the mountain, he says. Now, I guess we, lots of us will know that already, 
But it's what it says about this God that's quite intriguing as he goes on in verse 34. He says this, Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by miraculous signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds like the things your Lord, the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? See, Again, he's speaking there about the rescue from Egypt. And he's saying, look, remember, this God who is speaking to you is the same God who rolled up his sleeves, took you out of the... I can't say the word. Out of the unpleasant situation in Egypt and rescued you to become your people. See, these are not words from some any old God. These are not words from some distant deity. These are not words that are kind of coldly passed on to these people. These are words from a God who has rescued personally his people. I don't know if you've seen the film Sully. Uh, It's about uh, the pilot who crash-landed the airplane on the Hudson River, saving the whole of the plane's um, passengers. And it's a remarkable film. Tom Hanks, brilliant, isn't he? I mean, plays every character really well. Uh, He's remarkable because, um, uh, the pilot, that is, as well as Tom Hanks, but because just the calmness in which he kind of crash lands this plane and saves all the people. And there's a wonderful moment in this film. I hope I'm not spoiling it. They all live. Uh, Because at the end, there's a kind of real-life shot of them having a reunion around this pilot and co-pilot. They... They all meet up, they all have a drink, and all celebrate the event. And there's this moment where the pilot speaks to the whole of the crowd. And you can just see their love for him, their desire to hear every word. They listen to everything he says. See, before that crash, he was just a pilot. He was just someone to get them from A to B. After his rescue, well, he now became a person a person they owed everything to, and a person they wanted to listen to. And that is the word, Moses says, that we have before us. It's not some set of rules. It's not a burden. It is a word, a personal word, from a God who has committed himself to us, who has sent the Lord Jesus, who has rescued us and given us his word. So going back to that spectrum, I wonder where we see God's word. Is it the letter, the prescription, the seatbelt sign, the, the airline announcement? See, Moses says it's far towards the letter. This is a God who cares for you, who has rescued you, who has stepped into this world for you. See, God's word is a privilege, but how does that help me day to day? Well, Moses goes on to show that God's word also shows his presence. See, why does God speak this word? Well, we read in verse 35, the reason, I think. Verse 35, he says, You were shown these things so that you may know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there is no other. And in verse 39, Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above, and on earth below, there is no other. Now, when he says you're to know something, he doesn't mean know it in the sense that we know that today's Sunday. 
not as a kind of bit of information. He means to experience it the way you might know a friend. And when he says that the Lord is God, to know that the Lord is God, he doesn't mean, oh yeah, the Lord's God. He, he means to have full confidence of God's presence, his power, his goodness, his sovereignty over your whole lives. Now, why does Moses say that? And why does he say that there is no other? Well, because this passage comes in the context of Moses warning them about going back to their old ways. Just glance back to verse 19 of chapter 4. Uh, Moses says this to the crowd, and when you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshipping things that the Lord your God has appointed a portion to all the nations under heaven. Do you hear what he's saying? Do not bow down to them. See, the, the people had come from idolatry. They, they would worship the sun, the moon, and the stars. They would uh, look to those things rather than to God. And Moses says, no, you're to know that the Lord is God. See, in the ancient world, idols were a big business. They were absolutely rife. They were, I guess, a bit like a Mr. Potato Head version of God. You could put a nose somewhere, you could put an ear somewhere else, and, and by doing that, you get a God of your own making. And the brilliant thing about that, don't quote me out of context here, but the brilliant thing about idols is that they don't speak to you. So they, funny enough, say what you want to say yourself. And we look at that and we think to ourselves, oh, how stupid are they bowing down to the sun, the stars, and all that sort of thing. And, but actually, that spirit of wanting to define life as we see it, of wanting to do things as we want it, well, that's just as alive today as it always has been. Now, I know you're going to think I'm ridiculous quoting from Miley Cyrus. I've already got my, embarrassed myself with Justin Bieber, but... Uh, that's not Miley Cyrus. Uh, but Miley Cyrus uh, says uh, in her song, We Can't Stop, it's a song that kind of is a very catchy tune, but as I started singing that, I thought, what sort of worldview is this? Because she says this, it's our party. We can do what we want. It's our party. We can say what we want. It's our party. We can love who we want. Yeah, the same sound. We define it. It's our party our world. We do what we want. We say who we hang out with. We say how we live. Now, that sounds very attractive, and it makes for a good song, but actually, there is a downside to that. Because idols never speak back, there's never anyone outside of yourself ever telling you what you really need or who you really are or why you're really here. It's all very well said, isn't it? We can do what we want, or we can say what we want, we can believe what we want, but actually, do I know what I really need? Do I know what I'm missing? But this God, Moses says, is far different. This is a God who he describes in verse 37 as one who loved your forefathers, and chose their descendants after them. 
He brought you out of Egypt by his presence and great strength to drive out before you nations and greater and stronger than you and to bring you into the land and to give it to you for your inheritance as it is today. See, it's so different to an idol, isn't it? This God speaks and this God works and this God declares his love to you See, this is a God who is far different from the idols around them. It sounds very attractive, putting your fingers in your ears and saying, I'll do what I want. But then we miss the very wonder of having a God who draws us into his presence, in his love. See, God's word is difficult sometimes to hear, isn't it? Some of it's quite hard to understand and Uh, When we do understand it, some of its word is challenging for us. It feels that it jars against our instincts sometimes. But if we ever experience that, please be encouraged. Because it shows you, you are really listening to a God who is there. See, when we read the Bible and it agrees with what we already think, chances are we've not actually heard God and heard his voice. See, God speaks to us through his word to show us himself and his presence. Now, what are we to do with all this as we come to our third point, that God's word shows God's people? Well, as I mentioned at the beginning, Moses is about to go in, sorry, Moses isn't going into land, he's not allowed, but the people are about to go into the land. And I wonder what you might think Moses' priorities for this new nation would be. You can imagine him saying, well, make sure you build new homes. You know, make sure you put roundabouts in, make sure you have a good ring road like Basingstoke. You might imagine him saying, look, work at getting your infrastructure set up, your government, that type of thing. But his one priority comes in verse 40. Keep his decrees and commands, which I'm giving you today, so that it may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may live a long time in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. See, he says, keep his decrees and commands. Now, in fact, that word keep there is the word guard, like the bouncer on the nightclub. And you'll remember a couple of weeks ago that in Eden, Adam was told to keep, it's the same word, to guard the word. That Eden was meant, first and foremost, to be a a place where God's word was heard and believed. And he was meant to guard it against anyone else saying otherwise. And here that word pops up again because it shows us that Israel, in one sense, is a new Eden. These are God's people drawn together in a new land where his word is to be believed and lived out and heard. I guess the same could be said of the church. The church is not a community founded on kind of racial ties or class ties or cultural ties or any other kind of ties except that of God's Word. It's why the church has the Word right at the center 
of its services, or at least it should. Or, and it, it's why it pains us so much when churches don't do that. See, this is what forms the new community. God's word at its center, believed, guarded, kept. Now, I don't want to spoil the rest of the story, but I guess lots of us will know this already. But Israel doesn't become Eden 2.0. It doesn't become the place where God's word is heard and believed and kept. Rather, it becomes the fall 2.0. As this word that Moses pleads with them to keep is rejected. But speed the story up again, and we realize that God, in his mercy, sends a new word to his people. Not just a word uh, like a law, but a word in a person, in Jesus Christ. Have a look at Mark chapter 9 with me, uh, which is on page 1012, 1012. Mark chapter 9. And I wonder if you noticed, I don't, know, I don't know if you play this little game, why, is, why, is, why are there two readings, what's the connection here? But hopefully you spot some of the connections. We're, we're back on a mountain. In fact, we're on a mountain with Moses, and we're in a mountain with Moses, and they're talking about speech. And then we read in verse 7, Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, uh, sorry, envelope, sorry, envelope them. And a voice uh, came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked round, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. See, Moses and Elijah, who's here as well, they are speaking to Jesus. And this voice comes from heaven and says, listen to him. It's not just the law, it's not just the prophets who Elijah represents, but it's the person of Jesus. And of course, the sad irony is that only chapters later, people don't listen to him. They accuse him of having a demon. They say that he said they're to pay, stop paying taxes to Caesar to get him into trouble. They say to him that he's going to destroy the temple. And most of all, they try and silence this word by strapping him to a Roman cross. But as that word dies, and as he rises again, he rescues his people. To not just bring together one nation, but a multitude of peoples all over the world a people who have been rescued and a people who know that they are loved, not because of what they've done, but because of who God is and what he's done for them. And so we as a church, we, we don't have the word as a kind of thing to do or a kind of burden to carry. We have it as our joy. Here's what Colossians 3.16 says, let the message, literally the word, of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through the psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. 
See, it's the word of Christ that we sing, we declare to one another, we have defining our community in the church. As we close, uh, what are we to do with this? Well, there's only really one thing. Moses says it in verse 40, and that is to listen, to hear, to keep this word. Going back to what I said at the beginning, I wonder where we are on that spectrum between, you know, kind of this is a a letter from a person who loves me versus uh, this is a message that kind of just drifts over my head. See, it is further up this end of the spectrum, isn't it? In fact, it's off the spectrum. Because God's word is not something we kind of have to endure. It's not something we have to just do because that's what we do at church. It is our privilege. It's from a God who has rescued us. It is a sign of his presence because through it, he reminds us of who he is. And it is the way we form the community of the church around us. I don't want to beat us up too much, but a, a kind of way I often challenge myself on this is to think, what is it I talk about, Rob? You know, you can often tell what you're most excited about, can't you, by what you're kind of blabbering about to, to other people. Sometimes I do that, and I think, why did I get so into lawnmowers or induction hobs or whatever it might be? Uh, they are real-life examples. <laughs> See, if I'm really excited, if I really understand the privilege of God's Word, well, this would litter every conversation I have. Now, I hope we're not feeling beaten up by that, but I hope we see before us that actually this word is a privilege. It is the way God shows his presence, and it is the way he defines his people. Let's pray and let's take some questions. Forgive us, Father, we pray for when we think lightly of your word or when we don't respond to it rightly. Please help us, Father, all as a church family to hear this word, to keep it, to live it out. Not because we have to, Father, but because it is our joy and privilege. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we get started? Thank you so much if you sent in a question or voted it. It's always really nice to see people just engaging with what we're listening to. Shall we start with um, the word amonish? Yeah, the word admonish, um, it's uh, encouraging, pushing someone uh, in the right direction. Um, so if you think of football manager at the sideline, uh, a nice one, not one that's kind of shouting, uh, but, but I guess, come on, come on, guys, you know, put it in the net, all that sort of thing. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, uh, or, you know, my kids, when they're learning to ride a bike, I'm like, keep pedaling, keep going. Uh, and it's that sense. So... Um, it's the sense as actually as Christians, we have a responsibility to one another to uh, not just let everyone kind of make it in their own way, but to, to encourage one another to say, come on, how are you doing with the Lord? How are you doing? Keep going. Uh, I, I know that's hard, but you know, the Lord's faithful, uh, that type of thing. Thanks. That's useful. Um, so we've got a question that's very popular. How do we guard God's word well? How do we guard God's word well? Um, so, um, I think listen 
if you haven't already, to the sermon on Genesis 1, uh, because there I showed that actually the first uh, way to guard God's word is to realize there are going to be opponents to God's word, as in internally, we're going to hear uh, a different voice. Externally, uh, we're going to hear uh, counter words. So I think the first thing to say is there is a need to guard God's word. Uh, how do we do that? Um, well, we, um, when you look at Ephesians chapter 6, which you'll remember I spoke, to, spoke at in um, Genesis 1, I showed there that actually here's the kind of language of a soldier, and one of the things it says, or many things it says, is kind of take up uh, the belt, you know, put on the belt of truth, take up the shield of faith, uh, put on the the gospel. Uh, So it's all kind of truthy stuff. And so Paul says to the Ephesian church, the way you stand, the way you guard, is to to reinforce the gospel, uh, both internally and amongst the church. So how do we guard the gospel? Uh, how do we guard God's word? Well, we keep reminding ourselves of the gospel. And that, that means not just kind of knowing the Bible, like as in chapter and verse, but, but remind ourselves of what it says, reminding each other of what it says, reminding the church beyond our walls uh, of what it says as well. I'm yakking on. Is that helpful? I think it was. Okay. It's great, and it comes back around to admonish as well. Like it does, know. yes, yeah. yeah. Very good. Yeah. Um, amazing. Now we've got a little bit of a sort of off-topic question to do with the Old Testament valuing of land, and I wondered if you could just give a brief overview as to why why it was important previously for God to give land to His people, but whereas now as Christians um, we're not particularly allocated any land from God. Yeah. So really. Um, yeah, it's not as soft topic as you think it might be, actually, the more I think about it, but I'll come back to that. So, yeah, God made three promises, uh, three parts to his promise to Abraham. He promised to make them into a, a great nation uh, of people. Uh, he promised to give them a land, and he promised to bless them. Uh, and those three things, they reflect, if you kind of, if Abraham's there and you take it back to Eden, they reflect what happened at Eden. So what did God do at Eden? Well, he said, be fruitful, multiply. He said um, they were blessed in the garden and they were given a garden, they were given land. So um, Israel is kind of a, a kind of a, a repeat, as I say, of what Eden was meant to be. Uh, but the question comes where, when we get to the New Testament and when we get to New Testament believers, are we to kind of have a portion of land, uh, you know, somewhere? Um, and I think the answer is no, because Actually, the land that Israel had was to point to um, something far greater, which is the new creation. So, um, in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, he says this in verse 18, you have not come to a mountain, so you speak about Sinai here, that can be touched, and that is, to a, uh, uh, that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast. Um, so basically saying, look, you've not come to a physical place you haven't got a kind of Mount Sinai as Christians. But he does say this, you have come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to God, the judge of all men. Uh, yeah. So you've come to something far greater, which is that heaven and earth will join one day and the whole earth will know God's blessing. Um, I realize this is a bit of a mind burn, but but, but basically, 
yeah, it's not a physical land because there's something far bigger, which is the whole world. Amazing. Shall we um, finish up with a more practical question, which is, how do we bring up faith and Christianity in conversations with friends day to day? Um, I was saying to Sam, I was going to ask her, because um, as a vicar, you, it's hard not to. As soon as <laughs> people say, what do you do? You go, oh, vicar. Uh, and they go, well, they either tell you what they think. Uh, <laughs> or um, some people do ask, but it's hard not to sort of say, I'm yeah. a Christian. Um, so, I don't know, yeah, you got any wisdom? <laughs> um, this is so hard. I feel like it's very hard, um, and I think if you speak to most Christians, they don't think they're doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe sometimes I find quite easy is, if he, often people ask you what you did on your weekend, and it's amazing how many times I missed the word church out of the weekend. Um, so even just saying, oh, I went to church, mm. um, just... Sometimes people really want to talk about it, which surprises you. And that's really encouraging. Um, I guess also, uh, a, a big thing with my... I, I guess you live slightly differently. And so, for example, works night out, everyone might want to get really, really hammered, and that's great. Um, but maybe I might go along and just not do that. Um, so it's just about being a bit different so people can ask you. That does not mean I do it well. And often I get it wrong or whatever, but I think if you eventually over time you build relationships with people and people slowly ask you things like, hey, why didn't you, why didn't you swear or something like that? Yeah. But um, oh it's, it's, re- <laughs> Sorry, it's really censored. hard. I thought you were going to swear. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I think that's, that's really helpful. I think um, what I was saying about the lawnmowers and things, um, it's because you, you do end up Stuff that comes out of your mouth is what's generally in your heart. And I think the more you have the gospel in your heart, the more you meditate on who Jesus is, the more that will naturally come out. Not in a kind of false way, mm. but as you say, you'll just be in other conversation. You'll just be generally, generally in conversation and be able to speak about that. Um, I should, just a little plug, if you're house group age, house groups at the moment are looking at this very topic. Um, so if you're not in a house group, do grab one because um uh yeah you'll be able to look at this in more detail Great. thanks rob yeah thank you thanks,